This morning we'll be looking at Isaiah 52:13 through 53:12. And if you would turn there in your Bibles, it is in the Old Testament. You may have heard if you open your Bible to the middle, you'll probably get to Psalms. If that happens to you, you want to go to the right. If it's like my Bible, you'll open it in the middle and be in Isaiah. So there you go. Uh, that That is the best and quickest way I can teach you to get to Isaiah. There is also an index in the front of every Bible. Don't be ashamed to use it. That's why they put it there. Isaiah has written these words that we might learn how to respond to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you lived in the higher classes in England in, say, the 1700s, you'd notice a trend starting out that people were beginning to include the letters RSVP at the bottom of their invitations. So, of course, we would all be invited to all the garden parties and all the luncheons and all the dinners, and we would see this new trend happening. Our invitation would have RSVP at the bottom. The French etiquette had said, and they were setting the standard at that time, that England should adopt what basically translates into respond if you please, RSVP at the bottom of their invitations. A friend told me just this last Friday that Facebook is doing something far different now, and in their invitations or their events, you can now respond in three ways. They've taken away the the maybe, and now it's interested, he tells me. So you can go yes or no or you're interested. I don't know why they've done that, but they've changed the way that you can respond to an event in Facebook. In our text this morning, this is the point that Isaiah gets to, and gets to rather quickly in the first verse of chapter 53, asking the Lord out loud, how are people going to respond? Now, we know they weren't going to RSVP. It wasn't like that. And we know that they weren't going to use Facebook, so we know it's nothing like that. But Isaiah, not knowing either one of those, came to this point of saying, what, what is it, Lord? How will people respond to this new revelation? And we'll see how the Lord has revealed something to Isaiah that was never revealed before. Actually, we'll probably see two things there that he's revealed. Now, as we ask ourselves these questions, we need to remember some of the, the ways that we respond. We're here in Isaiah with the Lord delivering great revelation. And no one believed him. He had been ministering for quite a while now and written most of this book. Obviously, we're almost to the end of it now, being in chapter 52 and 53. And he has seen very little response to his work as a prophet. So this this question bears on his heart, weighs on his heart, and he wants people to respond to the Lord. He understands and he wants others to understand. Today we'll look at how we 
need to respond to the Lord. We'll try to understand this invitation that the Lord has presented to us in chapter 53, and we'll try to see how then should we respond. As I said, being in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, a lot has already happened in Isaiah. He's talked about the great reign of Israel, how it has fallen out, and then in chapters we are not yet to at this point in 53, how all of Israel returns to that great height, and even higher, it seems. So all of this is happening in Isaiah, and he's on his fourth what they call servant song. So these are actually songs or poems about Jesus. He's on the fourth one so far. So we're going to hear this morning how Isaiah talks about Jesus. And as we as we hear that, we're going to then look at how Isaiah hears this revelation in summary. He's going to get a condensed form at the end of chapter 52. He's going to ask his question, Lord, how do we respond? How are people going to respond? Then he's going to spend the rest of chapter 53 expanding on, telling us more about that invitation that's been given. And we're going to use the letters RSVP to kind of walk through those four sections of the invitation. And we're going to use those letters in this way. The R is going to stand for our rejection and the servants receiving. So the R is rejection and receiving. All of these are going to have a a one part, our part, and then the servant's part or the Lord's part. The S will stand for the striking of the Lord's servant and also for the servant's substitute suffering for us that you got a great introduction to in Romans 3 that Jordan explained so well, introduced you to so well, and then read. And then the V will be for the severe violence that was done to the Lord's servant. And also the vicarious death he suffered for us. Now, if you don't know what vicarious is yet, and just as you may not have known what uh, substitutionary atonement was before, we'll, we'll learn those things. So don't, don't get overwhelmed. Vicarious is just another word. It's no harder to learn than any other word. And then the P, the P will stand for our pleasure and for the propitiation of the Lord by his servant. Again, we'll learn what that word means. Don't let it trip you up right now. It won't trip you up later either. The context is this is Isaiah writing 700 years before Jesus was born. So 700 years, to give you an idea, someone writing in the year 1315, about what you are doing today. Imagine someone writing that long ago. Now, this is obviously before the smartphone, before the Internet, before the Industrial Revolution, before there was a United States, before there was a printing press, and even before they learned how to mass-produce paper. So, whatever they were writing on, they would write out you know, what you were doing, what your life was all about. How could someone do that so long ago in English that we probably couldn't even understand today? 
how how could they do that? But this is exactly what Isaiah is doing here. 700 years before Jesus lived, he's going to tell us about what Jesus did and the importance of it. Now, let's read, as we said in Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. As I read, listen for, and hopefully you can follow along in your Bibles as well, but listen for how the people responded to the Lord, and then also how the Lord is responding to the people, or the many, his his believing people. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Behold, my my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, living, stricken from the trans, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion for the many, and he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's bow in prayer.
Heavenly Father, you have given us your invitation, and as we explore this great revelation, this great word that you have taught us here, pray that we would respond well, that you would fulfill all my shortcomings and use the power of your Holy Spirit to work on hearts, to train minds, to tune them to you, to your word, to the very salvation that you detail so closely in these verses. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So first we have Isaiah's introduction there at the end of 52, and we'll see how it starts off so great and then goes into this great depth and then returns into this great height. In verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, always doing the right thing. He shall be exalted and high and lifted up. He is the one that is coming. We're talking about Christ again. He is going to be the one who is resurrected, who ascends, and who reigns forever. Isaiah is giving us a picture of this great thing that Jesus is going to do. But then he gets right into the next verse and says, as many were astonished, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, people couldn't even recognize him. He didn't even look like a human being. Now, this is not at all what Isaiah was expecting. Isaiah was expecting that things got better and they just kept getting better. There was no time when the the hero of the whole Bible suffered and died. That that wasn't in Isaiah's realm of possibility. But he's heard so much from the Lord at this point that he believes the Lord. And then the Lord tells him the rest of chap uh, the rest of verse 15, so he shall sprinkle many nations by doing this, by becoming unrecognizable as a human. He is going to sprinkle many nations. He's going to purchase many tribes and tongues and people from all the nations of the world. He He's going to save a people for himself. He's going to create a nation. So how is he going to do that? This height goes through this depth and then back to this height. And this new revelation causes Isaiah to ask this question that we have in verse 1. Isaiah's question comes in two parts. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? How is Isaiah going to get anyone else to believe? He looks ahead and sees the Pharisees, sees the Sadducees, sees the scribes, and says that's going to make perfect sense to them that things just keep getting better and better. It's not going to make any sense to them that things are great and then the servant of the Lord is persecuted, is put to death, is marred beyond human recognition and then comes the end, then comes the height, then comes the conquering of the king. What is? How are people going to respond to this? How are they going to believe this? They're going to reject it. So now we see what was revealed, what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 10-12a. 
concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So you sitting here right now is why Isaiah wrote this. Isaiah didn't, couldn't fully understand. But Peter tells us that even though he, Isaiah has to ask questions like, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? When is this going to happen? Who's going to get this? Peter tells us, Isaiah wrote these things 700 years before Jesus, 2700 plus years before us, so that we would be helped, so that we would know who Christ was, so that we would know what actually happened on the cross that Andy has been teaching us about as we've, he's been preaching through Luke. What actually happened there at the cross? Isaiah gives us much insight into it. So we now see what was revealed to them for your help. We start with our R of the RSVP. Our rejection of the Lord's servant and the servant receiving that rejection or accepting that rejection. <laughs> Isaiah begins to tell us about Jesus' life. Again, 700 years before he was born. <clears throat> Verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. If you remember early on, Pastor Andy would have preached this before I was here. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is when God talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and knowledge and favor before the Lord and men. When he talks about that, this is what Isaiah is talking about far before, again, Jesus actually lives. And he tells us that this is how he's going to rise up. He's going to rise up out of this dry ground, out of this place where everything is dead, where everything has been cut off. He is going to be the one that, like from Luke 23, where Jesus asked those on the cross, if they do this to the green tree, what will happen to the dry wood? He is that green tree. He is that plant growing up. He is also that mustard seed that has grown, has started out so small, cracking through that dry ground, breaking through it, becoming the only green thing in the area, and going to grow and prosper bigger than anything else so that the birds of the nations can rest on that tree. He's also, being this small tree, this small plant, the first of the replanting of the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden returning to God, returning to the great relationship we have with God, is only possible if Jesus starts that garden. And here Isaiah draws a picture of 700 years from now, he didn't know how many years, but 700 years after him was going to be the first growth of the Garden of Eden, the way the Garden of Eden would come to all of us, the way that the vine that we would all be grafted into when we believed in Jesus Christ, the tree of life that is at both the beginning and the end of the Bible shows us that Christ is 
the tree essential to our salvation. And right here, Isaiah is telling us he's just beginning to grow. He had, verse 2, he had no form or majesty. I'm sorry, yes, verse verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. According to the world, there was no reason that we should notice him. This plant that was growing in the dry ground, there was no reason that we should notice him, recognize him, praise him, glorify him. He was born in a stable, right? He was born outside of the royal family that at that time. There was no reason to go to him. Even the shepherds who eventually did go to him had to be told by angels to go. And they were the only ones to attend his birth. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah also tells us that there was no beauty that we should desire him. The world saw no beauty in Christ. And I want to take a small uh, side side road here and just have you look at the beauty of Christ. Now, Christ was beautiful, is beautiful, and should God reveal him to you, you can see that beauty very clearly and hopefully more and more every day. But notice that the world saw no beauty in him. So this first is for the women, and especially the young women and girls, that notice that Jesus was not accounted as beautiful. He didn't... Uh, he didn't measure up to the standards of the beauty of the world. He was normal and he was plain. And that was good. That was fine. That pleased God immensely, actually. He didn't go to the fashion magazines. He didn't look at the TV and think, I need that. I, I want to do that. I need to be more like her. I need to tweak this. I need to have my body like that. He didn't change any of his features. He used his body like God wanted him to use his body. If God has equipped you to be a fighter pilot, then by all means use your body to be a fighter pilot. If he has equipped you to be a great mother, then by all means use your body and be a great mother. But do the things that God has equipped you to do according to God's word. Don't go after things that God has not pointed out, things that the world has distorted and told you, this is beauty, that's beauty, pursue this, pursue that. Don't shun those things. Those things actually displease God when we mess with his creation, when we try to distort the things that he has created well and good. And then quickly to the men, the reason the women believe this is because you value that kind of beauty. That's a shame to us all. We shouldn't value that kind of beauty. We should value the kind of beauty that God says is beautiful. The kind of beauty that Jesus Christ had. Now on to verse 3, he was despised and rejected. We, everyone who would someday believe from Adam and Eve to us and beyond, rejected Christ at one point. We all rejected him. Notice God's continuing plan, how the servant continues to receive that rejection, how he has full confidence that the Father is going to deliver all of his people over to him at his good timing. 
But we know that we've rejected. We know that we have fallen short, that we have sinned against God, and that we are not worthy. We cannot go before God and say that we are able to bring anything that would please him, anything that would make us acceptable before him. So how can people who believe in Jesus Christ, when we don't recognize him or esteem him or value him or think him beautiful and despise him and reject him, how can we respond to him? Only when God opens our eyes and our ears and reveals to us, as he does in the next nine verses, only then can we respond to him. So listen closely. Grow in the grace of God if you know Christ and if you don't know him. Hear this invitation of the length and height and depth that Christ went to in order to save a people for himself and call out to him and say, I need that salvation. The S is the striking of the Lord's servant in 53, 4-6 and also the servant's Substitute suffering. We're told in verse 4 that he was smitten by God and afflicted. This is how we looked at him. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but we didn't get it. We thought that God was just angry at him, that God was doing something that we didn't fully understand, but we didn't know that it was for us. So God explains in verse 5 and 6, He was pierced for our transgressions. Our transgressions are when we willfully act to sin against God. That's what the Bible uses the word transgression to talk about that willful desire to sin. Almost every time you sin, it's because you want to. And that's what God is talking about here, the transgression. And that transgression... He was pierced for. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's the the reason that we sin. From Adam and Eve, we've just inherited this iniquity, this reason why we sin, this the guilt of it. And we have this guilt, and God has sent Jesus Christ to be crushed for it. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our whole body, from what we do willfully, to what we were born with, to our physical nature, to our sickness, everything is finally paid for by Christ so that when we live with him in eternity, none of these things will hinder us at all. Christ has done that. Christ has suffered those things on our behalf so that we might have that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We have done what seemed good in our own eyes and Jesus willingly, voluntarily suffered for it. He is suffering as a substitute for us. In verses 7 through 9, we see the V, the violence that we did to the Lord's servant and the vicarious death he suffered for us. 
So if you don't know the word vicarious, you probably do, I'm guessing. It's often used as a taunt that people are living vicariously through their children. In fact, that's my example. But vicarious is being experienced through the actions of someone else. So say someone was really good at tennis in high school and then they had a son and wanted to enroll him in every tennis program that came along because by doing that, they could watch their son, they could enjoy that time, they could remind themselves of the memories of that time and live vicariously through their son, reliving those years, those glory years, trying to remind themselves of of it. Well, Jesus does that in reality. Jesus really switched with us so that he would vicariously suffer, so that he would undergo this death, complete death, all of this violence on our behalf. What we deserved was suffered by him. Verses 7 through 9, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He's voluntarily suffering here. He's suffering in our place. And this is another one of the revelations, the second that I said Isaiah was probably learning. And I I learned this while studying for it. So I th- I think you may learn it as well, or it will be a great reminder to you. Isaiah is telling him that these these sheep have no distinction. They could be being led away to just be sheared, you know, have their have their coats, their wool coats shaved off. That could be where they're going. Or they don't know. They could be led off to be killed. They they have no idea. God has put down this lamb as a sacrificial lamb, but the lamb doesn't pay for all of our sins fully. But what because the lamb doesn't know that it's going to the slaughter. It doesn't know that it's being sacrificed. Now Jesus is different. Jesus fully pays for our sin because just as we willfully sin and the lamb can't willfully offer itself as sacrifice. Jesus can willfully offer himself as a sacrifice. So we're able to see how this is a true exchange. Our willful sin, his willful substitution for sin. He willingly steps in and fully covers our sin in a way that lambs and goats and bulls could not do, as Hebrews 10 tells us. And we see this violence unto death in verse 9. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was given a grave with, was given deaths with the wicked, and with a rich man he was buried in his death. This is how Jesus was buried and sentenced to death after suffering, not only suffering on the cross, not only the physical suffering that we're able to see if we watch a movie or read through, but a suffering that we can't even imagine that was the wrath of God taken out on Jesus Christ for the sins, the infinite distance that our sin separates us from the Father. 
He suffered that. He was perfect. He was, even his mouth did not sin. James tells us that if anything else, you can't tame the tongue. But Jesus was able to tame even his tongue. He even kept it in subjection to himself, that he was never sinless and was able to suffer on the behalf of other people vicariously because of his perfect sinlessness. R, S, V, and P. The P are pleasure and the propitiation of the Lord by his servant. Propitiation just means making someone favorable in someone else's sight. So, God made Jesus the propitiation for us so that we could appear acceptable before God because of what Jesus had done. So, we're able to appear before God by believing in Christ because Christ is our propitiation. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, verse 10 says. It was the Lord's pleasure. It was his eternal plan to crush him, to crush his only son so that we might have life. This is why we need to believe these things. This is how we have that relationship with Christ, that relationship where he is our propitiation. He was willing and submissive to it, and the Father accepted his sacrifice, accepted it fully, and was pleased with what he gave for our sins. And then, as verse 10 tells us, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, see all the people that will ever believe in him, and prolong his days. This is the only part of the Old Testament where it talks about someone prolonging their days after they've died. This is a direct reference to the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead after seeing his offspring so that he might rule over them. And it continues, the the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. For ever after that, Jesus has been up there in heaven after he ascended working for the salvation of his people through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sent down to change people's hearts, to tell them what he was really doing on the cross, like we're learning this morning. Verse 11, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We see this exchange, this propitiation acts in two ways. You don't just get to be free of sin. There's still a a thousand million things that you haven't done good in your life, that you're still lacking. You can't just not sin. Jesus couldn't just pay for your sins. He also had to earn a righteousness, earn all the good works that you needed to be accepted before God. There's a double exchange. He has paid for your sins. That's what he's talking about when it says he shall bear their iniquities. But he has also accounted us as righteous. That's what he means when he says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous. 
He has earned all those good works to present them to the Father, to say, here, look through these glasses at your people to see my good works on them. And the the Father, this being his plan, says, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do, wanted you to do while you were on earth, was to earn that righteousness as well as pay for their sins, so that I might look on my people and be fully satisfied in them. And just so it doesn't, so we don't forget, God is talking about believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, this is God willingly taking up the, the work of Christ and looking at you as if you were Jesus. I mean, how much better can your, your day go than God is looking down on you as if you're Jesus? I mean, how satisfied was God with Jesus? How glorious did Jesus look to God? And you are now seen, just because you believe, just because you trust Christ, you are seen as if you're Jesus. What a great salvation we have. And then in verse 12, we see how Isaiah draws this to a close. He says, I will give him many, and the strong he will distribute as spoils. So the Father gives the Son the many, the believers, those who have trusted in Christ, and Christ then distributes them as spoil. Because Jesus died for the many and secured their salvation, they are given to him by the Father. And in some sense, all the spoils of war are given to the Son and distributed to his people. If you remember the parables that talk about managing or uh, receiving cities to manage. This is just a vague indication of what was going on in there. Jesus is distributing his vast inheritance among those who believe in him. This is obviously talking about after Christ's return when he has settled all things and everything is clearly under his feet. He then distributes to his people that we might work alongside him and continue to glorify him, but then in sinlessness. Yet he bore the sin of many, the last couple lines, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Fully and completely, Jesus has brought us to the Father, and we are secure forevermore because of his intercession for us. Jesus continues to act the same way for us, putting away our sin because of his one-time sacrifice and drawing us near to God by his intimate relationship with his Father. So in conclusion, how do we respond? If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, if you have never learned what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, we've pretty much covered it this morning. Between what Jordan said earlier the, that illustration about the diamond was just perfect. Looking at the, the main, that focal point on the top that shows us the, the biggest part of the diamond. That, that's what we've spent today looking at. If you have heard these things and understood these things and believed these things, salvation is here. Pray and say thank you to God for saving you. If God has already saved you, 
then look back on this because there are riches and depths that we just could not have got into this morning that are here that are for your eternal meditation and understanding and reading and rereading. There are things here to grow tremendously. If we want to give him room to reveal himself, I just want to throw out several things of ways for him to reveal himself. Pray for Christ to save you if you've not been saved. Pray for deeper revelation. Open your Bible and read his word. Figure out the time of the day where you're most awake and consider that your highest priority. That knowing Jesus Christ is beyond all things and more precious than anything else. How about memorizing this part that we've gone through today? Isaiah 52.13 sorry, to 53.12. This is a great section that teaches you the core of your faith. Speak with other believers about Jesus, his work, what he has done, what this all means on as Christ's work on the cross. Join the church. That is a great way to honor Christ and to grow deeper with Christ. If you're a believer, we have ways for you to, to join the church that are very straightforward. Join a small group. Come to Sunday school. These are all ways where we continually are trying as a church to teach and learn one to another how Christ is working in our lives and who Christ is and what he has done. Or just start meeting with someone, preferably, you know, the same gender, uh, to disciple them or be discipled by them. Trying to get more relationships one on another. This is one of the things that Jesus wanted to do and wanted us to do in the Great Commission was create disciples, disciple each other. We must also reject those things that are contrary to the Lord's revelation of Jesus Christ. So not only must we try to grow closer to Christ by learning about him, but we must also reject the things that are against this revelation of Jesus Christ. Reject the lies of Satan that he tells about God not accepting you. Jesus was enough for God's demands as we are, as we were just told, and you neither can nor need nor could supply what you needed to be accepted before God. Don't try to be accepted by others by bending to their view of what is acceptable. This is a small part of what we talked about in about beauty earlier. Don't accept the world's view, but God's view and reject those other views. Don't punish yourself for your sins. Jesus has borne our grief, sorrow, and willful rebellion all that we have done against God completely. Don't starve yourself or go run ten miles because you overate. Don't deprive yourself of marriage benefits because you lusted for someone else. Don't isolate yourself from Christians because you don't know how to talk to them or confide in them as you should. Repent, yes. Turn away from those things. Run from them. Seek Christ. Ask His forgiveness. But... Don't try to offer up your own sacrifice. Jesus has paid for your sins. Don't seek righteousness outside of Christ. Don't train your children to trust things that they do. Don't make deals with God like, 
I'll do this, I'll obey, I'll do these things if you just give me that. The reason you're accepted before God, the reason you can, you can make requests is because of Jesus' faithfulness. Not your own. Not your own earning or your own ability to do things. No good works other than those of Jesus can satisfy. So how will you respond to Jesus this morning? I've given you many ways and I pray that they have hit home. I pray that this is a passage that you can turn back to and learn more from. I pray that this morning at least you can cry out with Isaiah and say, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Help me reveal you to other people. In the name of Jesus Christ, I offer this and ask that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would glorify yourself. And as we respond to this, we remember that Isaiah 54 goes right into praising you, right into responding to your great work through Jesus Christ, right into a song. And we pray that as we sing now, that we would respond in praise to you for all that you have done, all the ways that you have worked through your Son, Jesus Christ, to secure people for you and glorify yourself. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.